Well, let's go ahead and pray and um, we'll look at uh, this parable. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who is uh, gracious in your giving. You always are and always will be. And as we look at uh, this parable this evening, may we be reminded of the fact that uh, uh, what you give is right and good. Um, And uh, we sometimes forget that. So may we uh, enjoy the psalm, but also enjoy the fact that uh, you're a God who is one who cares and gives. And this we pray in the name of the Son. Amen. You can find your Bibles, Matthew chapter 20. We'll spend most of our time in Matthew 19, but uh, the parable that we're looking at is in Matthew chapter 20. When it comes to our study of the parables, and we're getting close to the end here, we're starting to get to the Passion Week where the Lord tells uh, multiple parables, and then from there out, none. So um, we're getting uh, close to the end of this study. But hopefully by now in your own study and own reading of Scripture and the like that uh, you've been able to begin to decipher or redecipher some of these parables um, and understanding the fact that for if you don't understand what the parable is talking about, that you look at the context. If you were just to take this parable and start off in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1, you would be confused as to what Jesus is teaching. In fact, you would be probably off in what he was teaching unless you knew the rest of Scripture and applied some of that. Uh, you'd be off. We have to remember that in our Bible, the chapter and verse references weren't given until almost a thousand years after the New Testament was written. Uh, it was not something that they had easily uh, accessible uh, to be able to figure out where things are at. And so when these, uh, they divided out the book, they divided it, this new parable. But you have to go back to the previous context to understand this parable of the vineyard, the labors in the vineyard. And so you see the first note there, context, context, context. The context is going to help you know what the parable is. And so we're going to go back and read what goes on before in Matthew chapter 19. And it's kind of a weaving thing that goes on, but it finally gets to a question that the Lord answers uh, with a parable. In Matthew chapter 19, verse number 16, there was one, uh, and you find this statement, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said unto them, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Watering break. Verse 23. 
Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And then that brings us to the parable. Starting Matthew 19, 16, we have a, what we read there is the story that is referred to in Luke and in Mark as a rich young ruler. And it does not mean that he is a governmental ruler or the politics or the like. Uh, this is a ruler in the religious realms. He's probably part of the Sanhedrin. Not sure. We're not told that. But if he's in the ruler status, he's probably a part of that 70-member committee that uh, met. But he has a question about what commandments guarantee to him eternal life. Now, <clears throat> he's a rich man. I mean, it's, it's given to us in the other passages. And we've been talking about this. In the Pharisee's mind, if they were rich, they had achieved a right standing with God. The Jews assumed this too. That person, rich, they've made it with God. He's coming and asking the question, just in case, what commandments do I need to do, what do I need to be doing in order to inherit eternal life, to make sure I make it? Okay, you know, I'm, I'm pretty close. I've got all the wealth. I've got everything here. But, but is there a command that I need to do in order to get eternal life? Now, Jesus responds and <clears throat> to the fact, as you see there, the man called Jesus good, to which Jesus responded that only God was truly good. Ironically, if the man was going to take Jesus at his word, he would be suggesting that Jesus was God. Now that something the Pharisees would not do, but he's at least come here and the Lord's kind of going, ironically you're calling me good and we only know the one person that's good is God, guaranteed, and if you're going to take my word on this, you know, you may be calling me God here. So ironically, this is where it's headed. Jesus told the man to keep the commandments. He responded with which, or we would say, which one? This is a good question because he knew if he's a ruler, he would have known the laws that there were 365 prohibitions and 248 commands in Scripture. So you have those two blanks. 365 prohibitions and 248 commandments. Do the math. How many commandments is that? Not 603. Six, 613, yeah. 
613 commandments. So when he's asking which one, uh, could you pinpoint it for me? Um, and so he's trying to narrow it down because he knows these are the commands that are there, and so he's just trying to get it narrowed down. And the Lord is rather easy. Whenever he's confronted with questions about commandments, he either talks about the Ten Commandments or he narrows down the Ten Commandments to two. Love the Lord thy God, which is the first table of commandments, four of the Ten Commandments. The first four are love the Lord thy God. The last six are love your neighbor as yourself. And so the, the Lord always, you know, they, they, they've complicated it and they've looked at all the commands throughout the Old Testament and the Lord's just kind of going, here's, here's the core. And what he says back to this uh, young man is that he gives him the fourth table, or excuse me, the, the second table of the uh, commandments, which would have been the love your neighbors yourself commandments. But he's missing one. Which one is he missing when he calls back to this young man there in verse number 18 and 19? Thou shalt not covet, number 10. So he intentionally leaves that one off. He gives all the other five, and the young man goes, okay, well, I've kept all of those. And by the standards of his day and people looking at him, they'd probably say, mm, probably. So he then goes, well, what else do I have to do? You know, I've done all this. What lack I yet? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not missing anything. What am I missing? I've kept those things. And the Lord responds that he must sell all his goods and follow him. They sell everything you have and, and follow me. Now, this is not a passage saying that if you're wealthy, you must sell everything. That was the mistake of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, that that was the way to being closer to God, is to sell everything. That's not what's being taught here. What Jesus is pinpointing for this young man is for him to realize the problem he has. You see the, the bottom of that third paragraph, the man could not keep this commandment because he was covetous and had also broken the first commandment because he had made possessions his God. He'd rather follow that. And understand, we, we, we hopefully realize that idols are not just merely statues made by people that people go and worship. The Lord goes after those idols, but he oftentimes, the prophets, is going after the idols that we create in our heart. Those things that we say are going to satisfy, take care of all my needs, these are the things that are going to make me happy, I'd rather have this than anything else. Well, for this young man, he proved out, I'd rather have this rather than God. I'd rather have this little G, God, than the one true God. So this revealed, young man's got a problem. He's got a problem with covetousness. It's a sin of the heart, and it's really revealing the fact you can do all the outward things right, but if you're still sinning in your heart, you're not right with God. So you then get to the fourth paragraph. The Lord then stated when the young man went away that it was impossible. It's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And you're going, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not impossible for anybody to get to heaven. Okay, I understand that. But what he's saying here to these people by the statements that he's making, he's saying, 
Rich people, the ones that are looking at their riches and depending on them, will never, ever get there. It's not going to happen. They're not going to make it. And, and some people try and, and dumb this down. What he says, it's you know, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And they're like, well, you know, we think there was a gate in Jerusalem that was called the needle, and the camel kind of goes through it. And you're like, okay, camels can go through narrow spots. I mean, this is, you know, that's fine. But that's not what the Lord's talking about. He's talking about impossibility. You can't get a camel through the eye of a needle. Somebody this morning said, I can't even get a camel hair through the eye of the needle, let alone a camel through the eye of the needle. Um, he he is, is stating it's impossible for people who think their riches are what's guaranteeing them eternity for them to get into heaven. Not going to happen. Uh, and so when you have this, uh, the final statement, riches in Jewish society indicated God's blessing. Many rich people trusted their goods, guaranteed eternal life. A person like this was not able to be saved except God doing a miraculous work. And when he looks at his disciples and looks at him, he says, with men, this is impossible. But God, this is possible. Okay? God can save a person like this. God can save a person like you. And you think about this, the greatest miracle is not God raising somebody from the dead. Physically. That's not the greatest miracle. Though in John 11, that's the last of his miracles that point to the fact that he's God. It's that he can take a person who's separated from God forever and give to them eternal life, fellowship with God forever. That's the incredible thing. He can change the destiny of an individual for eternity. That's the most incredible work. And mankind can't do that. It doesn't matter. There's no person that's going to work their way to heaven, bribe their way to heaven, do whatever they're going to try and do to get to heaven. Not going to happen. But with God, it's possible. So he says that to his disciples. Okay, this is a seemingly a hard statement for you, but God can change the thing. So Peter speaks up, and here you have this at the bottom of the page, the question. This is the question that's going to propel the parable that Jesus is about to tell. He's just calculating through, and here this young man's been told to sell his goods and follow Jesus, and he'll have eternal life, and he's just clicking through and going, hey, this is what we did. I mean, that, that's what he's saying. Lord, we left everything and followed you. You think about the times where Jesus goes by, and, and Peter and Andrew, he goes by him uh, after he's known him for a little while, but he goes by him and he says, follow me. What do Peter and Andrew do? They follow Jesus. They leave their, their, their stuff behind. It even gets more detailed when you talk about James and John. He goes by them, and they leave their father and their ship and the nets behind, and they follow Jesus. You've got Matthew, who has got a livelihood where he is a tax collector. He's a toll collector uh, there in the city of Capernaum, and he is on a major highway in the Roman Empire. So he's, he's able to make a lot of money, and he just leaves that behind and goes and follows Jesus. I mean, they left everything to follow Jesus. So Peter's going, okay, what's that worth? And that's his question. Peter's response was that he and the disciples were different. They had given up their livelihood and possessions to follow Jesus. That's the blank that's there at the bottom of the page, to follow Jesus. What good did that gain them? Hey, what are we going to get out of this? 
Now the Lord answers and says, for the apostles themselves, they would one day rule the tribes of Israel in the kingdom. Now the question comes, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, wait a second, one of them's not going to be ruling in the kingdom, who's it going to be? I don't know. Okay, who's the one who replaces Judas Iscariot? I tend to think it's probably Matthias because Paul was an apostle out of season. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. That was his title. He was called, I'm the apostle of the Gentiles, though he was a Jew of Jews. Um, I think probably it's Matthias who's going to do the ruling, but we'll find out when we get there. But they're going to rule in the kingdom over the 12 tribes. So this points to the fact that some people think that the church becomes, you know, Israel becomes the church and, the, you know, that. Well, guess what? No. Uh, there's 12 tribes that one day will still be there and the Lord's going to rule over here, them here on the earth. So it's pointing to the fact that there's a future kingdom yet coming. But he then goes on and says, for anyone that followed Jesus to the loss of everything in every relation, they would receive a hundred times what they lost and have the promise of life eternal. I mean, just think about this. The average lifespan is 70 years. And you go 100 times more than that, that's what? 7,000 years? You know what? You haven't even started eternity yet, and you've already received 100 times the lifetime you lived. I mean, think about that. I mean, if you think about this, you get to live life And, you know, you get to live it hundredfold. I mean, this is basically saying it's abundant. You can't give it a number, but you just think about it. In eternity, you've just started, you know, as the song says, when we've been there 10,000 years. And you're kind of going, wait a second, that, that we've only begun. Yeah. It, it. So the abundance here is that you get life eternal and you'll receive a hundredfold beyond what you get in this life. The losses that you make here, you get to enjoy the glories of heaven, the new creation of the new earth, the new heavens. Enjoy those things like they were supposed to be in the Garden of Eden enjoyed. You get to be in a part of the heavenly city and see all the, I mean, the abundance is there. So you get to enjoy this. So that's your reward for leaving all of this. You've got abundance and eternal life and eternity. But the Lord goes on, and I will, I will say this, this did not mean that those who were first following Christ would do a better job of service than those who came later. It was by the grace of God that they received these goods or these things. Let me put it this way. Um, he kind of makes the statement that's uh, there, many shall be first, and the, and the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. He's basically stating, you think you're the first ones to be here, and that you somehow have done a better job than other people, and the answer is, you know what, there are going to be a lot of people who do better work than you do in the kingdom. So, you know, you know don't, don't, he's basically saying, don't get too prideful here, that you're the first ones to follow me and are the chief followers. But then you have this parable, and let's read the parable because this is uh, the, the reason that we're here this evening looking at this, but uh, chapter 20, verse 1 says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. He went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. 
Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why stand ye here all day, the, uh, all the day idle? They said unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also in the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye be receive. So, verse 8, when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers, give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they, had, uh, when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. And when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I'm good? So the last shall be first and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. What you have here is a vineyard that's growing, and uh, if you know anything about this, people with vineyards are picky. They want their grapes to be a certain flavor, a certain taste, a certain texture. They want it that way. And so it seems like this would have probably taken place in about September. That's when the normal uh, vineyard season was there in Israel, uh, the harvesting of that. And it came down to a specific day, and the man is ready to go, I want it picked now, today. Because it's right where I want it. You know, I... I explain it this way. I understand this a little bit because uh, Tammy loves cherries. She grew up out in south or southeastern uh, Washington uh, by Yakima and Sela, where they have all the apple orchards and cherry orchards, and they are producers of major uh, juice there in that region. Um, and she grew up on cherries and knows what they taste like and what they're supposed to taste like. And I at times will, you know, I don't really buy for her during other parts of the year because it's so expensive, but I also know they're not going to taste very good. Be sour, just not good. But you get to June and July, they go down to 99 cents, which is a nice thing, but they're, they're ripe, they're good, they're dark. You know, they, 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 are, they are ready to eat. So it is for this man. He's gotten to the point where the grapes are the way he wants them, and he goes, today's the day to harvest. And so he goes out at uh, 6 o'clock in the morning. I mean, that's the time that's here. He goes out 6 o'clock. He finds individuals uh, that are there and hires them for, and it says a penny. Understand, this is a denarii. This is a day's wage. Okay, this is the standard day's wage. A denarii was that. Uh, he goes out there. I mean, this is the way that you'd find workers. You know, guys would work on their farm, nothing going on that day. They would go down to the marketplace to find extra work. And so you need uh, work? Okay, well, I'll give you a day's wage. Go out and start picking the grapes, and uh, you do that, and uh, I'll pay at the end of the day a denarii. And as he's going along, he sees it's not going that well, so he shows up at 9 o'clock. And he goes to the marketplace, and he finds individuals there, and just understand what he says to them. 
He says in verse 4, Go ye also in the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, okay, that's the blank that you have in your, your notes, whatsoever is right, I will give it to you. Okay, I'll give you what's right. He says that to the people that he goes out and finds at noon. He says that to the people he goes out and finds at 3. He says that to the people he finds at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, I just thought about this today. If you were working from 6 o'clock in the morning till 5, and then someone else got hired at 5 today, you'd be like, I've been through the heat of the day, and this person shows up to work uh, now. But whatever the case is, even at 5 in the evening, he hires these workers. And you get all said and done. Verse 8 gives us the, the collection point, okay? It's time to pay. The harvest has come in. Great, it's all done. Work is done. Let's pay the people. And we'll start with the last, the ones who came last, and we'll pay them first. And so the whole process goes along where these men are given a denarii. They worked one hour. They got a denarii. So, I mean, you were there at six in the morning. You're just kind of clicking through. If he gave a denarii, the, the, the boss is really happy. You know, the work got done. He's really happy that these guys did it. He's going to give us a whole lot. Problem is, is they get up there, and when they come and put their hand out for whatever they're going to receive, the denarii is put out there and given to them. And they're shocked by this. I mean, these first workers, as I put it in the third paragraph there underneath the parable, these first workers filed a complaint against the owner that they deserve more. You know, they probably went to HR. You know, that's how you do it today. You know, they went to HR and complained to human resources that they were being, you know, ill-treated. But HR back then was the boss who owned the field, so it didn't matter. Uh, but uh, they filed a complaint. The owner reminded them of their contract to work for a day's wage. He goes, wait a second, don't you remember? We talked through this, and you said, I'll work for a denarii. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, okay. Did I give you a denarii? Yeah. Did we have anything wrong with the contract I gave you? No. This is what we agreed to? Yes. Okay. What's wrong with that? You agreed to it. Um, you have uh, there, the owner reminded them the contract to work for day's wage. He was not wrong in what he gave. In fact, he had the right to give whatever he pleased. Now, he had the right not to pay him. Now, that would not have gone well because he would no longer be righteous. He wouldn't have abided by what he said. But he has a right to do whatever he wants. He could have given a denarii to those people who came at the end of the day and go, eh, okay, you know what? I'm going to give you two denarii. Thanks for the work today. We've had a good crop here, and uh, you did a good job. We got it done today. This is going to be a good sale and whatever. He could have done that, but he did whatever was right because he has the right because he's the owner of the field and they agreed to whatever was right except for that first group however he determined to give them all the same both the first and the last now the, the last par par paragraph here about this parable is this this parable is Jesus' reminder that his gift of abundance and life eternal was the same for Jews 2,000 years before Christ, as it is for Gentile believers living 2,000 years after Christ. 
know, the Jews had a problem with this. Hey, we were first. God came to Abraham first, said blessing's going to come through us. The scriptures came to us. I mean, this is the whole argument of Romans as you read through it, where they're going to go, hey, scriptures came to us first. We had all the promises given to us first. So there was a attitude that the Jews thought that they should somehow get more than everybody else because they were the God's chosen people. Well, you know, this is going to be a problem in the early church because the Jews are going to assume the fact that they're better than the Gentiles and that they, well, had a different kind of work that they had to do in order to get the blessings that God would give them. And they, you know, wouldn't get as much because they were Gentiles and came late. Maybe not get all the abundant blessings that God gives out in, in glory. And that was the assumption. And now think about us. We're 2,000 years late, as if we had a choice. But we're 2,000 years late. I mean, we weren't there when Jesus was walking on the earth, you know, so we, we, <laughs> we missed it. You know, and we could very well be in the 11th hour of the Lord's working. And it wasn't necessarily our fault. I mean, you hear him go, hey, no one's hired us. That's not our fault. We haven't gotten hired yet. This is why we're here. Well, he's reminding these individuals, even though you were here first following me. You know, you think that that's worth something. You're the first group to give up stuff to follow me, to be my disciples, to, to, to follow me everywhere, that you somehow deserve more but I'm just reminding you, I can give whatever I want to those that follow me and whatever I give to them will be right and fair and good because there was this thought and and realize this, this is a discussion that they're going to have later on. They're going to argue this. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? You know, the disciples are going to get to that point where, you know, I'm better than you are. No, no, I am. I'm going to sit his right hand. No, no, I am. Because I did this and this and this. The answer is, you're going to be a part of the kingdom. Just enjoy being a part of the kingdom and the abundance that God gives you. You followed him. He's going to give you abundant blessing. And we forget that sometimes. And so here you have at the end, uh, the thought is, is that there might be some thinking in the Jews' mind that they deserve greater gifts because God connected with them first. It's the blank that's there. However, God is right and good in giving the same payment to all. Now, one side point. When we get to heaven as being followers of Jesus Christ, are there rewards given on the basis of how we do things when we're here? Answer is yes. So the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about this, 2 Corinthians 3 talks about this, that our works will be judged whether they're good or worthless, uh, that there will be the burning of wood, hay, and stubble, those works that really didn't have any good, and what we left with what was valuable was worth something as a follower of Jesus Christ that had as a purpose eternity and God. So there is going to be rewards in heaven, you know, accommodation, good job. But we're still all going to enjoy heaven 
the blessings of it, eternal life. We're all going to enjoy those things. And it's not that, you know, the person that's in, in heaven, you know, that, you know, got the better commendation, you know, is getting all the better seats in heaven. You know, I got a better seat than you did. No, yeah, okay, whatever. We're not going to care at that point. But we are going to have the enjoyment of having eternal life, the abundance of God's grace. It doesn't matter if we were somebody born 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, was a follower of God, we're going to enjoy the same blessings. So, yeah. So it's kind of an answer to, do I get more? Because, yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> You're still saved by the grace of God, and the gifting is given based on God's grace. Questions, thoughts on this one? Steve? I feel like when I'm reading this, almost every verse, I also want to assert because he's got mm. like him describing the land of mm-hmm. and then describing the situation because this has happened and kind of like keep refreshing myself. This is not really a story to teach something about payment or mm-hmm. about what's right and giving or putting out work. Yeah, it's more so that God goes, I can give you what I want to give you. I mean, it is kind of a, because I'm God. I can do this, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's what it comes down to. If I was to give you nothing, I was to give you a you know, crust of bread when you get to heaven, would that be good? If I, I'm a good God, it would be good. What's that? Just being there, yeah. And so, you know, you get to eat that tree that has fruit that comes forth every season, you know, 12 months out of the year, even though there aren't years anymore. Yeah. So, yes. You hate your hand raise? Obviously, you can't believe the injustice going on here from a human point of view. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think he must have been teaching his disciples, you know, kind of bringing that dross, if you will, to the surface that, you know, he was trying to speak to their hearts about. But I also think we have songs we sing like, I wish I had given you more. When we get to heaven and we realize, how many hours have I wasted not serving the Lord putting my own desires and pleasures first. You know, that's what I also see in this. There's an element of that when you talk about the first and last. There's, you know, whether you, you were a good worker hard worker, long-time worker, short-time worker, it doesn't matter. You're still going to enjoy the grace of God. But, you know, there's still that element in there. But, yeah, this one's more, more so not challenging you how hard you work because there is going to be a parable we're going to come to that is talking about the fact that a person who does well with what they have right now as a follower of God will have responsibilities in the kingdom. And it'll be greater responsibilities because if they're responsible here, they'll have greater responsibilities helping run the kingdom, which I'm just kind of like, how does that work? You know, it's kind of like tending the Garden of Eden. You know, what kind of work do I have here? Um, 
you know, in the weeds, that type of thing. You know, I mean, so, but there is a parable we're coming to that, that that's the emphasis of, okay, your work here, you do need to consider the fact that, you know, some of the opportunities you're going to have to serve God in the kingdom and work for him, you'll get greater responsibility on the basis of how you did things here. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that one. It's coming.